The sermon title is titled, The Broken World. We live in a broken world. God's word says in Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1-31, we'll go on to say that it was very good, as Sister Shirley read. God took a break after six days of laboring and speaking everything into existence. And he said, it was not just good, but it was very good. And as we know, the progression of redemptive history, Genesis 3, sin is introduced like Sinai dropping into water and infected the whole creation. And at that point, all creation began to groan as, the, as creation was falling apart. I mean, today we live in a day and age where you may be anxious right now. As you're sitting here this morning, coming on the Lord's Day, you may be very anxious. According to the ADAA, Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 40 million adults suffer from anxiety disorders. 40 million. And if you're a teenager, according to ADAA, 32%, a third of teenagers suffer with some form of anxiety disorder. I mean, today you may be that person right now. There's, if odds are, there are people who are very anxious sitting here right now. I mean, there are many reasons, right? Think about it, how since that day, Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, sin into creation, the environment had begun to decay. I mean, think about all the things I've talked about, global warming, you know, of the ozone layers is, is falling apart. Remember those days when you couldn't use the, the hairspray because the ozone layer is falling apart? Acts of evil. I mean, terrorism. You, you hear about shootings taking place in our country. I mean, people are inventing different ways to be evil. How about our societal decay that you see where you see more erosion, the LB, LGBTQ movement, you see a racial tension everywhere. You see a distrust towards leadership. I mean, this is not encouraging for the future. I mean, even physical decay as a pastor, I have the blessing to be involved with several funerals already this year. I mean, we're talking about new kinds of viruses every month. We're talking about battling cancer, getting scanned, all those things. And it's a real issue that we're dealing with. Yet, in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says this, do not worry or be anxious. He says that clearly. And you may be sitting there, yes, that sounds good, Lord. How is this possible? Because it's not getting better. And you're right, it's going to get worse. How are you able to sit here, look at your children and your grandchildren and say, do not worry, do not be anxious? knowing all this is going around. Well, it all hinges on your mind's eye. When you think of Christ, what comes to mind in terms of how does he relate to the broken world? This is the key here. If we clearly understand how Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, who spoke everything into existence, who declared it was very good, how do you picture him relating to the broken world? And that's the issue today. We're going to see how Jesus Christ relates to the broken world. And through it, my hope is this, that you'll be more encouraged 
to not be anxious or to be worrisome, and also how you could care for those who are suffering with anxiety and anxiousness. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be preaching out of Mark chapter 7. So if you have Bibles, please turn there. If you have your phones, your apps, please read along with me. I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. I'll be preaching out of the Legacy Standard Bible, Mark chapter 7. 31 to 37. Mark 7, 31 to 37. So please rise as we read the scriptures together. We do this to honor God's word. We are literally hearing God speak to us when we hear God's word read or when you read the Bible. Please follow along. This will help you understand and track with the sermon easier as well. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. God's word says this. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came down through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they pleaded with him to lay his hands on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven with a sigh, he said to him, Ephatha. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak. He began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he was ordering them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this holy and precious word. Thank you how you show us how your son, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, the savior of the world, relates to the broken world. Lord, I pray your spirit allow me to preach faithfully, clearly, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Guard my heart from sin, Lord. Guard my heart from distraction so that I'll be a pure vessel before you, Lord. And the Lord, I pray your spirit will give us ears to hear so that we hear what the Lord is saying through Mark 7, verse 31 through 37. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. How does Jesus relate to the broken world? That is the question we're going to be asking. How does Jesus Christ relate to the broken world? And the three things, if you want to get it ahead of time, just so you could track with the sermon a little bit easier. How does Jesus relate to the broken world? Number one, he receives. Number two, he remembers. And number three, he restores. Number one, he receives, remembers, and restores. If you didn't get that, We'll be going over and over again, so do not worry. How does Jesus relate to the broken world? Point number one, Jesus receives. Verse 31 says that Jesus is traveling to Tyre, which is about 25 miles north of Capernaum, his, uh, off the Sea of Galilee, and then goes north about 20 more miles to Sidon, and then goes east and back down to the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis. So he's making a circular route and as if he's opening up the net wider for more and more people. This region, the Decapolis, think of decade. Decade is 10 years. Deca, 10. Think of Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Annapolis. This is cities. So this literally means 10 cities. Decapolis is a region of 10 cities that the Romans set up. Non-Jewish area, Gentile, secular world. So this is very helpful for us. We live in a secular world today. We live in a post-Christian world, and this is helpful for us to understand this. 
And then he, he goes to this region and and this is, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, verse 32. But Matthew 15, 30 says, a large crowd came. Not just a small group, but a large crowd. But Jesus focuses on one person according to Mark's chapter 7 here. And Jesus was getting famous. And you'd be wondering, how did he get so famous? I mean, this is Gentile area. This is not the Jewish area. This is Gentile area. And the answer comes in Mark chapter 5, verse 20, when the demoniac, do you remember him who was healed? Or all the demons fled out of him into the pigs and they, flew, uh, they dove into the ocean. That demoniac who was healed by the Lord said, can I come with you, Lord? Do you remember that? That passion, I just want to be with you, Jesus. Jesus says, no, you stay here, but go to the Decapolis and preach about me. And that's exactly what he did. Isn't that amazing how you don't need any social media, you don't need any technology to spread the word. The best way to evangelize still today, brothers and sisters, is word of mouth. And that's what this demon-possessed man who was healed, he couldn't help but tell people throughout the Decapolis, the 10 cities, about Jesus Christ, and they get word. He's here. The one we heard about is here, and they're coming in groves. But Mark has a much more personal view of this. Certainly, there were the, as Matthew 15 says, there was the lame, the crippled, the blind, the mute, and many more. I mean, everyone's coming. Everyone's coming. With any issue, they're coming now. But Mark focuses on one person. Verse 32, and they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they pleaded with him to lay his hands on him. Please, heal our friend. I mean, as I read this portion, I can't help but think about the friends that brought the cripple that broke to, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house and lowers the, the man, right? Remember him, the stretcher bearers? Well, this is no different. These are Gentile people who are bringing their deaf and mute friend to go see the Lord. And they're pleading with him, please heal our friend. Our Lord is a very personal God. I mean, there may be hundreds, there may be thousands of people, but the Lord is very personal. He knows every single story that's sitting here right now. He knows your story. That's an encouragement. But this deaf man had a particular struggle here. And I think it's helpful with this, uh, this comment or this quote that I found by Kent Hughes to help us understand what it's like to be deaf, particularly in that era, all right? Ken Hughes writes, the handicap was indeed terrible, talking about deafness, especially in ancient times, that's 2,000 years ago, friends. If we were given the choice between blindness and deafness, the idea of losing our hearing does not seem nearly as debilitating as losing our vision, all right? Would you rather lose your hearing, ability to hear, or ability to see, all right? But, this is what Ken Hughes writes, medical authorities and the deaf themselves tell us otherwise. Terrible as blindness is, the blind do not suffer the social pain and stigma experienced by the deaf. The gawking, the impatient stares of those who are not aware of one's condition. Think about it. The deaf cannot hear. They cannot speak to communicate. They don't make intelligible sounds, just like babble or just some noise, gargling noises. And they can't respond. I mean, things that people may be thinking is they encountered as a deaf man, there's no 
signals that this person's wearing a hearing aid or anything like that. This was 2,000 years ago, friends. Is he stupid? Is this man mentally retarded? Is he handicapped? What's wrong with this guy? Is God judging him because he's a sinner? There's all kinds of thoughts like that that could have been floating through the mind of the public. Is he demon-possessed? What's wrong with him? Well, how does Jesus care for him? Well, verse 33, let's turn our eyes to verse 33 here. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. You see, how does Jesus relate to the broken world? He receives the broken. He receives the broken. And now he took him personally to be by himself. There may have been thousands there. But Jesus said, I'm, come with me. Come with me. Perhaps takes him by the hand and says, we're going over there. We're going over there. And he takes him by the hand and he receives him personally to be by himself away from the crowd. The Lord doesn't care about people watching. The Lord cares about this one person in this moment. And suddenly something bizarre happens, right? Many of you guys reading this, what is going on here? He's putting his fingers into his ear. He's spitting and touching his tongue, the Bible says. What is that about? Jesus receives this man, but also he customizes how he ministers to this man. This man cannot hear. This man cannot speak. The Lord is communicating to him, I got you. I'm going to take care of you in a way that he could understand. And for us who could, who could hear and speak, this is bizarre. Like, what's going on? But for this deaf man, he pricked his heart. I'm, I'm coming for you. And then by touching his ears, he's saying, I know you're not demon-possessed. I know you're not crazy. I know you're not stupid. I know that you're not being punished for your sins. I understand the real issue. It's sin. It's not the issue. It's, it's your ears. You just can't hear. I understand. And he spits and touches his tongue. Like, not only am I going to heal your ears, I'm going to miraculously cure your tongue. And that's what he does. And so the Lord is customizing how he would communicate. As I was studying this portion, my mind was drawn back to my days as a coach, particularly, uh, you know, in my college days at the University of Southern California. And I, even I got, as I coached in the professional ranks, there was a tension within me. The tension that perhaps you might be feeling right now as you're sitting here. I want to talk more about Jesus Christ. I want to take people to Jesus, but the secular environment that I, I'm involved with will not accept this. I had this tension. I want to talk to players and people, the coaches and staff, and more about Christ. And I asked my friend, this guy I highly respect, a mature believer, I said, this is how I feel. I, I love coaching. It's phenomenal, particularly when and who we got to coach with and all that. This is an amazing time. But his advice to me was this. Rocky, they pay you to coach. So help them be as good as they can be as players and coaches. Help them be as successful as, you, as they can be. Help them. Love on them by giving them what you're here for is to coach. 
I said, okay. And he, but he goes on to say, but when given the opportunity, give him Christ. And oftentimes the opportunity came with brokenness. Players are often confident, strong. I mean, just amazing, right? I mean, the athletes at this level are set apart. I mean, this, there's a different level of ability that God gave them. And, but when injuries come, when I hear things like, hey, can I talk to you, coach? Yeah. I, my, my girlfriend is pregnant. When I hear things like, you know, I'm having relational troubles at home. My grandmother's sick who raised me. My grandmother's sick. I mean, these are great opportunities to take people to Jesus Christ. Because they knew I was a Christian coach now. I, I was a Christian. I may have been the Japanese guy like running around and all that, but they knew I was a Christian, okay? Hopefully they know you as a Christian in your schools, in your workplace. Hopefully they know that. So when the people come with their brokenness to you, you don't disappoint them with the answer that you give them, Right? I mean, think about it, especially in the secular arena. I was like, how can I encourage a church right now? And, I, and most of my time has been in the secular arena. And as I just thought about it, it just completely came to my mind. Brokenness is an opportunity to minister Jesus Christ. I mean, where do you take your friends? Where do you take your coworkers? I mean, when they're dealing with some obvious sin, when they're, when they're dealing with some kind of sickness or illness, when, when they're dealing with severed relationships, I'm having problems in my marriage, I'm having problems relating to my adult children, I, I'm losing them. Like, where do you take them? Where do you take them? I mean, in some ways, where does your mind turn to for your own self when you're going through these issues? That would be very telling in terms of where you take people. Well, Jesus will receive you to himself, the Bible says. I mean, think about it. Turn to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm gentle and humble. I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus goes on to say, the one who turns to me, certainly I will not cast away. I mean, I mean, come to Christ. Jesus, come. Do you believe this? A, for yourself, but also B, this is the best thing for your friend at work. Yeah, I get it. There, there's moments, and it's like, it, it's a clarifying moment. Pray for those opportunities. We don't want to pray brokenness on people, but we live in a fallen, sinful world. Brokenness happens. Brokenness happens, and minimally, let's pray for them in Jesus' name. Pray for them minimally right then. I haven't met many people who said, no, I don't want prayer. Maybe once or twice, but other than that, people are happy to receive some kind of a prayer. Minimally, pray for them then and there. Can I pray for you? I believe in a God who loves uh, sinners and who loves people. Can I pray for you? And in work to give them the gospel. How do you take people to Jesus Christ? You give them the gospel. That's better than leading them to Jesus. You tell them how one can be healed of their biggest issue, which is sin. The gospel Church family, and I'm, I sound like a coach because I'm trying to equip us now to understand what is the gospel? How would you explain the good news of Jesus Christ to coworkers? Well, is there a God? Yes, there's a God who created everything. We read the scriptures. Sister Shirley read that God created man in our image, and it was very good. God is the creator, and God is the one who sets the moral standard, and he is holy and perfect. 
And then there's man, God, man. Man was created in God's image, but we've sinned. We've rebelled against God. We've made moral mistakes. We've thought crazy things. We've said crazy things. We've done crazy things. And the Bible says that God will judge man as sinners into eternal hell someday. God, man. But the good news, Christ, Christ, who created everything, took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, and suffered on the cross to pay the debt of sinners. And if in your response, fourthly, and if you were to trust in him, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. That's the good news. God, man, Christ's response. Give him the gospel. So if you're looking for an opportunity to minister the gospel, and as I look out, I know there's hearts that want to. I know you, you just kind of just give me a little something, Pastor, just give me a little something. Help me, like a good running back, see a little hole so I could take it, right? Help me to see this. Well, the hole is when there's brokenness, you have a captive audience right there. The heart is softened, and they're coming to you for a reason because they know that you're a Christian and you have an opportunity to give them the good news. Isn't that amazing? The Lord orchestrates this opportunity. This is exactly what happened here where this man, apart from his deafness, he never would have come to Christ. He would have continued to worship his secular pagan gods. But because of his deafness, the Lord drew him to himself, and he had people to do that, and we get to do that. Let's go to our second point here. How does Jesus relate to the broken world? Number two, Jesus remembers. Let me read verse 34 here at the beginning, 34a, the first half. And looking up to heaven with a sigh. What does that mean? I love my older brothers and sisters. I mean, I'm almost 50, but I, I love my older brothers and sisters because they could tell me a time when there was less smog. They could tell me a time when the price of eggs wasn't going to kill you, right? They could tell me a time when gasoline, right, was 50 cents per gallon. I remember as a child, it was like 50 cents per gallon. I'm pointing at some sisters. You know what I'm talking about. There's a, there was a day when things like that didn't stress you out. There was a day perhaps you would even say God was in our schools. We could pray. We could say under God, right? You could say the Pledge of Allegiance without having any controversy. The teacher might even pray for the class. Perhaps even more innocent days. You could say, I remember when I could just leave my door unlocked. I could remember just relationships being more stable. I could remember when marriage was good. I could remember when my children were little and everything was good. I mean, this is helpful for us to speak to our elders. So younger people, the Bible says for us to respect our elders, but that's one reason. And that reason is that our elders have perspective. Our elders are able to see from what a wider lens. Our, our elders are able to compare how things used to be. That's a reason, one, one reason why we should respect our elders. But this is what I believe that the Lord is doing. He's looking up to heaven and sighs. This word sigh carries the meaning to groan. To groan over what? Jesus remembers he has the eternal perspective. He remembers how heaven meant, how heaven meant creation to be. 126, man, let's make man in our image. The tri triune God spoke amongst themselves. Genesis 131 says, and it was very good. 
Jesus Christ was there. Do you remember? This is not how it's supposed to be. How is there thousands of people are coming to me sick and, and demon-possessed and suffering? How is this deaf man who can't even speak comes to me? It was never meant to be this way. Perspective. He remembers, the Lord remembers it as he sighs and looks up into heaven, a sinless existence, existence with Adam and Eve. Jesus remembers the day in Genesis 3 when sin entered and changed everything. Everything began to die. Devastating effects of sin began to happen. He remembers this. That's why we need to look at the scriptures to have right perspective. We can't just count on our own scriptures. Even when we remember that gas was only 50 cents. We need a broader, more eternal perspective. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, did not design men and women to be this way. I mean, this is just like Jesus, though. Think about it. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb when his friend died. He cried. Death isn't supposed to be happening like this. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem would be sacked and judged. It's my people. It's not supposed to be this way. So the Lord is showing incredible compassion to us and to this man by just looking up to heaven and sighing. I mean, imagine with me. Just, just put your pens down. Get in your mind's eye right now with me according to what the scriptures describe what perfection was like. It's a sinless existence. It's hard to imagine because none of us could even if it's experienced a sinless existence. Even in our best days, even in our happiest days, it was tainted with sin. I'm not saying life can't be good, but even in our best days, we were infected by sin. I mean, think about this now. Imagine with me, perfect relationships. No issues with anybody. Perfect marriage, if you're married. Adam and Eve, perfect union. Genesis chapter 2. Perfect environment. No disease, no cancer, no animals being extinct. All that's perfect. Perfect unity with each other. We believe the same things. We love the same things. The same person, God. Perfect security. You don't have to worry about anybody taking your money, worry about anyone hurting your wife, your children. You don't have to worry about any of that. That's the world that Jesus Christ remembers because he designed it and he was there. So we need to have the right perspective, church. It's hard to imagine. And so that's why we got to fill our minds with the scriptures so that the scriptures informs us what it was meant to be like, what it was used to be like. And deep inside, we know there's better. I mean, you know there's better. You know, so do you have an eternal perspective about life? Do you, are you too, are you too focused on this life? Is your philosophy of life eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die? Is, is that it? Like non-believers. Are you trying to secure your best life now? If you're trying to do that, you're like, that's just like vacuuming the floors in a, in a burning house. You're just vacuuming the floors and the house is on fire. If you're trying to live your best life now, you're trying to just build up your sandcastle and here comes the waves and it's going to be gone in minutes. If that's what you're living for, 
you, don't, you need more perspective. <laughs> this ain't it. This is not it. I mean, the good, good reason that God allows brokenness is this. It draws us to himself, and we long for the next life. Whoever has the best life here, I don't know who that is, but you have some problems too. And apart from those problems, I don't know if you will long for eternity because life is pretty good. Life can be pretty good, particularly if you have a lot of resources, particularly if you have good friends, particularly if you have good physical health. Life could be pretty good. But if you're trying to live your best life, there's no doubt you have anxiety right now. There's no doubt because you see how things are crumbling. Your sandcastle is crumbling. The world is crumbling. The house is on fire. You, you see it everywhere. So we need to have proper perspective. Jesus remembers how it used to be. But let's go to our third point. This is the good news. How does Jesus relate to the broken world? Jesus restores. Jesus restores. Verse 34 continues on. He said, he said to him, Ephatha, Ephatha, that is be opened. And what happened? And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. Ephatha, he says. He began speaking rightly. I mean, think about this. This is a creative miracle. The Lord Jesus Christ gives him brand new ears. I could hear now. But not only that, he gives them a new tongue, muscle memory. If you haven't been using your tongue properly for all your life, how do you also speak plainly? That's a miracle. And not only that, he downloads information into his brain. What sound is supposed to sound like? What a language that he's never heard before. I mean, there's miracle upon miracle upon this event here. Jesus restores the man how he's meant to be. But... Interesting enough, verse 36, he gave them orders not to tell anyone. This is interesting. This happens over and over in the gospel of Mark. He says, don't say anything. I'm like, are you kidding me? If you're this guy, for the first time you could speak and you're saying you can't say anything? I mean, that sounds almost crazy. But the Lord is right. He, he had a plan. Yet nobody listened and they, they go on preaching what Jesus has done. And all of a sudden, his fame becomes more and more. I think the, the reason why in verse 36 he, he gave them orders not to say anything is because he wants to be known more than just a miracle worker. He's much, much more than that. And this next verse elevates the Lord Jesus Christ beyond a miracle worker here. Verse 37, it says this, that they were utterly astonished. They were blown away. They were just floored like, whoa, did we just see this? I heard about it. I heard the demoniac tell me about it, but now I see it happening. And what did they say? Saying he has done all things well. He has done all things well. I mean, this statement, he has done all things well or he does all things good, should remind us of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and he spoke the light into existence. And in verse 4, he says, God saw the light and the light was good. Verse 10, he goes, he saw the land and the scene, and it was good. He saw the vegetation, the trees, and the fruit, and the plants, and it was good. Verse 12 of Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 18 says, he saw the sun, the moon, and the stars, and it was good. And he finishes off with creatures when he saw the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, the, the cattle on the land. 
He said, it was good. So these people are commenting on the fact that everything Jesus does is good. Genesis 1, 31 says, it was very good. And the people were astonished. And if we're there in that day of creation, we would be astonished as well. They're just basically commenting that Jesus is the creator of the universe. But let's read ahead here, verse 37 at the end. He has done all things well, semicolon. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is a significant statement here, church family. We're not just going to stop at healing the deaf man here. This is greater. This is where the Lord's perspective of what he reminds us how it used to be, how he's taking us back to that day someday. Verse 37 at the end right there, he makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. It's a preview of the coming world. How the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, eradicates all diseases. This is an end time restoration preview here. And how do I, why do I feel so confidently? And as a preacher, I need to stand before God and before everyone here to say, am I preaching truth? Okay, and and there's an amazing bit of evidence here, biblical evidence. Turn to verse 32. It says, they brought to him one who was deaf, and this next portion, and spoke with difficulty. And spoke with difficulty. This one word, mogilalon, in the original language, in the Greek, was the key to unlocking to this whole portion to take us to a whole different level of understanding of Jesus Christ. This word, mogilalon, spoke with difficulty, is used only once in the New Testament. That's right here. Mark 7, verse 32. So that's great. Whenever an author uses a word one time, it's significant. And as I traced it back, it's also used one other time in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the ancient translation called the Septuagint, which Mark would have been familiar. He borrows this word out of Isaiah 35, verse 6, Mogilalon, and links this event to Isaiah 35. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 35, Old Testament. The Lord takes us to a deeper place here now, Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 is about messianic restoration, how how Jesus Christ will restore all of creation someday. Not just this deaf man or this, this region of the Decapolis. All of creation Isaiah 35. In the context of Isaiah 35, before that, Isaiah 34, Isaiah talks about the coming judgment against sinners, against the nations. And then that's the bad news, gospel. Bad news, good news. That's the bad news. And in Isaiah 35, you have to see this with me. This is too good. You have to understand how Mark links Isaiah 35 to this portion here to Mark chapter 7. But Isaiah 35, it's basically in the middle of the Bible. He went to Proverbs or Psalms. He went too far. Turned to the right some. Isaiah 35. Let me just march this down. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and desert will be delighted. And the Arabah, the desert will rejoice and flourish like the crocus. Crocus is a type of flower. It will flourish profusely and rejoice, rejoice and shout of, and shout of joy. 
The glory of Lebanon, this is forestry, will be given to it. These deserts will become like forests with a lot of flowers. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, Carmel, Mount Carmel, where it's green and lush. They will see the glory of Yahweh, the majesty of our God. In other words, in this day when Jesus Christ comes back to restore creation, he's going to have environmental restoration. It's going to be paradise again, like the Garden of Eden. In verse 3 and 4, look at what he says. Strengthen limp hands and give courage to the knees of the stumbling. Say to those with an anxious heart, God knows that this is an anxious place to live. What, is it, what are we to say to those? What is Isaiah to say to those with an anxious heart? Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance against evil. The recompense of God will come and he will save you. What? This is amazing. And let's, let's look at, it's talking about environmental restoration Talk about emotional restoration. You don't have to be anxious anymore. If you're sitting here right now, perspective. We're getting the perspective of God right now. Verse 5 now, look at this. This parallels Mark chapter 7 and Mark 15, the parallel passages of this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Mark 15, the blind show up and they're healed. And the ears of deaf will be unstopped. Here it is, Mark chapter 7. Then the lame will leap like a deer. The lame and the crippled show up in Mark, Matthew 15. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This, this man will speak plainly now. You see this? A physical restoration takes place in, uh, during this messianic restoration. Verse 7 talks more about environmental restoration. But let me turn your eyes to verse 8, 9, and 10 of Isaiah 35. Spiritual restoration. And a roadway will be there, a highway. And it will be called the highway of holiness. Who gets to go on this freeway of holiness? The unclean will not pass by. Sinners will not be on this path of of holiness, this freeway of holiness. But it will be for him who walks in that way in holiness. And ignorant fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any violence, violent, vicious beast go up on it. No more violence. No more having to lock your doors and put on your alarm on the car. No more having to look back around you when you're walking at night and you're jogging your head on a swivel because you're afraid you're going to be jumped. No more of that on this highway of holiness. These will not be found there. But who will be found there? Who will be able to walk on this highway of holiness? Here it is. But the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of Yahweh, the Lord, will return. The redeemed and the ransomed. And look what happens. And come with joyful shouting to Zion. Because we have restored speech now. It's amazing. So Isaiah 35, 6, the word magi lalon is the word mute. Mark, in no unclear terms, is connecting Mark 7 as a preview of Isaiah 35. This is phenomenal. This is where we get to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ our God, and have no reason to be anxious or be worrisome. You don't have to worry about that cancer returning. 
You don't have to worry about that hard relationship anymore. You don't have to worry about any guilt or being tempted by sin. A sinless existence. But the but this highway, I just want to be very clear what the scripture says, this is only for the redeemed and the ransomed. If you're not redeemed if God, or ransomed, meaning God hasn't paid the price for your sins, God sees you as unholy right now. If you're sitting here never having put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be on this highway of holiness. If you're to die apart from the Lord, knowing him as your redeemer, you will not be part of this highway. You see, the broken world is not the issue. The disease, social injustice, racial injustice, hard relationships, economic problems, environmental problems, that, that's really not the issue. That, that is more the byproduct of the issue. Okay? It matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but that's not the issue we need to focus in on. The issue that the Lord is clearly talking about is, is sin is the issue. Sin is what caused our culture, our world, our society, our health, our relationships to fall apart. It's sin. Sin is the issue. All that other stuff is a byproduct. If you're able to experience good health, good relationships, it's just by God's grace alone that you get to have that right now. But even that's not perfect. Sinners will die with this world, but Jesus came to address the root of sin. What did Jesus say? He who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear this right now? Has Jesus said, Ephatha to you, where he's giving you spiritual ears to hear spiritual things, spiritual good news of Jesus Christ? Are you redeemed and ransomed? Have you, in other words, have you trust in Jesus Christ through the gospel, meaning I know that God is the creator, I know God is holy, and I know I'm a sinner and he's going to judge me someday. Do you acknowledge this? And do you believe that Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, God himself, the creator of the universe, to live the perfect life that you and I are not able to, and pay the price and died a violent death, experienced the wrath of the Father, and rose again, so that we don't have to. Has Jesus Christ said, Ephatha to you? You know the answer is by your response. Have you responded to the good news as Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior? That's the key here, friends. So if you're here as a guest, I see many guests here. I see many children of believers here. I pray that the Lord will give you ears to hear. And, and so that you will know without a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is the one that restores things to being good again. Genesis 1, 31 says, it was very good. This next chapter of the story is going to say, it is very good, exclamation point, period. That's it. Not was, is, forever and ever. Isn't that amazing that we get to look forward to this, brothers and sisters? This is the life that we have for us amazing we have a great God let's pray father thank you for receiving sinners to yourself thank you for receiving this broken deaf man Lord we're all broken Lord I pray father I praise you father and thank you for remembering through Christ that creation was good it was very good you say and thank you father that your son will restore all things to being good forever and ever for forgive us Lord
I know even in my own weariness or cowardice, I have not taken people to Christ. I have given them other things or just not even responded well to brokenness. Forgive us, Father, for living for this world, building our sandcastle and focusing too much on this world and this life. Father, give us spiritual ears to hear, Lord. Will you say Ephatha to the non-believers here so that they would see that, Jesus, you are the treasurer of the universe, that you are the restorer of the universe. And I pray, Lord, that you give us spiritual ears for the believers too so that we would know you more, so we would trust you more, so we would be less anxious. Father, I pray for the lost here, Lord, that you would just be so merciful, so gracious, and they, they will know that you are slow to anger, that you're humble and meek and lowly of heart, and you are calling all sinners to repent to you. Father, I pray that you would grow the body here. Give us a greater perspective of what you're doing and who you are. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.